Welcome back to the QEH podcast, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be interviewing people within the QEH community, asking them questions and spending time understanding more about them and more about the school. Today we're looking at peer support, a scheme that sees the year 13 pupils supporting the younger children in school. Zach Berry, staff member at QEH, is joined by Eleanor and David, both year 13 at school. And together they explain what the scheme is, how it helps the pupils in years 7, 8 and 9, and also how it helps the year 13s themselves for when they leave QEH for the next stage in their lives. But that's not all. We also find out about our sixth formers by asking them some fun questions too. And don't think for a moment that we let Mr. Very get away with not answering those questions. But come with me now and let's explore the world of peer support at QEH. Zach, Eleanor and David, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the school's podcast. How are you all doing today? Yeah, we're really well, thanks. It's, it's great to be here. Um, as you said, I've got Eleanor and, and David here with me as well. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Very wet as um, I headed out at lunchtime and um, fortunately got absolutely soaked, but nice to be in the dry now. Yeah, I was worried I wouldn't make it here, uh, but fortunately I am, so uh, I apologise if I'm breathing heavily in the podcast. <laughs> what were you doing, David? Um, I'm editor of Barclay Square, so I was holding a meeting, which we have at lunch, Tuesday lunchtime. David, tell me a little bit about Barclay Square. What is that for, for people who are listening to this episode and they might not have heard of that or they've heard of it and they don't know what it is? Just give us a little background there. Um, it's essentially the sixth form magazine, but it's open to all years, really. And it's just it serves uh, to, to help students learn a bit more about journalism, get involved with, with interviews and just generally further their, their knowledge and interests of subjects. Um, yes, it's a really valuable asset, I think. And does this tie in with the A-levels that you're doing right now, David? I tend to write about the things which I'm interested in, and naturally those fall align with my subjects, but in no way limited to, to what you're studying. You can really write about anything. For instance, we had a, a student, a year 12, a couple of uh, weeks ago, write an article about uh, the environment um, and, uh, and talking about the effects of that when they don't actually study that. So there's a lot of room to, to investigate and research things which are not necessarily directly linked to at sixth form. Oh, I like this. So you can kind of write about things that are a bit of a side passion in that case. But actually, David and Eleanor, both, both of you, could you just tell us a little bit about the A-levels that you're doing at QEH there, please? So I'm studying geography, maths and economics um, currently, and I'm doing an EPQ as well as that. And yeah, I'm hoping to study geography um, next year at university. I'm taking history, English literature and geography, and I'm also doing an EPQ. Hopefully next year I'll be studying history at university. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that little bit of background there. And Zach, I'd love to know a little bit of background uh, from yourself. If you don't mind sharing, uh, I'd love to know a little bit about your own education. So where you went to school and what your own experience of school life was like as well. Yeah, so I went to a, a state school in Cornwall uh, where we grew up as a family up until the age um, of 16. I'd, I was awarded a commission to join the army when I was 15. So I actually went to a, an army officers college called Welbeck or was called Welbeck at the time and so disappeared off there to do my A-levels alongside officer training. Um, so that was a, it was a very mixed experience for me in terms of being a very um, straightforward um, state comprehensive school up to the age of 16. Actually the de- deputy head academic here, uh, Mr Martin, was the head of history in that school 
all those years ago, um, about 25 years ago now. Um, so uh, yeah, it's funny now to be under him here at this school, having known him there. But we, yeah, so my education was, was quite mixed, really, between those, those two different environments. It was, a, it was a boarding school in Nottinghamshire that I disappeared off to when I was 16, having been in Cornwall my whole life before that. OK, well, let's talk about peer support a little bit. I'd love to understand a bit more about peer support at QEH, really what it is from the outset. If, if it's something I'd never heard about, if I'd come along to the school and somebody said, we have a peer support scheme here within the school, give me a snapshot as to what it is and how it works. Yeah, so it's, it's got a long history, actually, here at QEH. We, um, it's been running here for about 30 years. It was set up by the, the previous school councillor, who actually only left a couple of years ago, along with the head of classics. So the two of them set this programme up about 30 years ago, so long before you see um, you know, that we have other iterations of peer support systems happening in other schools now, but it's, it's been well established at QEH and really is part of the DNA of the school. Um, I think it reinforces the, you know, the pastoral system that we've got here and, and really underpins that. In terms of what it actually is, um, what we do is that we have two teams of peer supporters. There are 20 in each team. They meet with year seven um, in one team and years eight and nine the other team. And they meet every Thursday morning during the tutor time. Uh, and it's an opportunity for those peer supporters to come alongside the, the small group that they meet with every week or every other week. Um, and in that time, we do a variety of, of different tasks. We, we tend to rotate between three particular areas. So sometimes it's um, there's, there's kind of an academic component where we ask the peer supporters to come alongside those, those the, the pupils in their group um, to support their academic work. That might be looking at homework, schedules, how they're dealing with the workload in terms of their homework. It might be looking at reports and, and, and talking about what they could be targeting and how they can be looking to, to move forward with their academic work. And at other times, we might just, another area we rotate through is just having fun with them. So they get to know them, they play games. Um, Uno is always a, a firm favourite as a game that they play with their groups. And we know to play other games like Dobble and, and so on as well. And then another component is, is we kind of rotate through a, a mental health task. So in some way, we're looking to, to support them in their mental health here at the school. Um, and we pick up a few different topics in, when we rotate through those tasks as well. But really, they just get to know um, those pupils really well. By the time they've, they've finished that um, year with their peer supporter, they do really know their, their groups very well. Uh, and it's a, a great asset, I think, um, to the school. OK, thank you for that brief summary there, Zach. That's, uh, that's very helpful. Eleanor and David, so learning here that there are two teams of, of 20 people, one team supporting year seven and one team supporting year eight and nine, I think you said, Zach. Eleanor, which team are you in then? So um, I support year eight and nine, um, and I believe David does as well. And what do you find that that brings that can help you for when you're leaving QEH, the kind of skills that could be useful for when, you know, you move on, whether that's university or out into the world of work? I think it's just really nice engaging with a different group of students. And obviously it's, it's good um, to develop your skills in talking to a wide range of people. So you spend time talking to teachers and other sick formers, but there aren't that many opportunities in the school where you have much contact with younger students. So I think that's really nice. And it's nice just like being around the school and I'll see like the boys in my year eight or nine group and they'll say hi to me. And I think it's nice that they have that contact and that, yeah, 
Yeah, it sounds very good. Um, David, tell me a little bit about how you find it to be engaging with um, years eight and nine. I'm just thinking that quite often in schools, children in year seven tend to be demonstrating uh, sort of uh, presenting themselves in a very enthusiastic way. Uh, Eight and nine can sort of start to change a little bit from one school to another. But how do you find it trying to encourage and support people in years eight and nine? I came into sporting year eight and nine with the perception that they were going to be very cynical and war-hardened and battle-scarred, but that hasn't been my experience with my group so far. I think that um, as a result of missing a lot of school last year because of COVID, I think that the peer sport scheme is much more important than before. And and maybe they they value, value school a bit more and the sessions that we have because of what happened in 2020. So, um, no, I, I did, haven't actually experienced the year eight and nine uh, being any trouble at all. And uh, I think that actually um, the thing which stood out most is that they were all so excited to, you know, talk to a sixth former and, and engage with someone who's older than them and obviously has been through the school system. So, yeah, I think that, I think that it's as useful for the sixth formers as it is for the, or if not more, for the year eights and nines. Eleanor, do you think that all schools, uh, whether they're single sex or co-ed, should have some kind of peer support scheme? Definitely. I think that coming from a school where there wasn't um, such a system in place, I think that the peer support system here at QBH is really beneficial, not just for the um, the year seven to nines um, who we're supporting, but also for the sick formers. I think it develop, you know, for, for us, it um, helps develop our listening skills and our empathy skills. But for the year seven to nines, I think that it helps to mature them as well. You know, speaking to like a sick former every week and doing small group activities as kind of Mr. Varys touched on, um, you know, focusing on things like mental health, improving their academic um, revision skills. I think that that's, I think it's really beneficial. Thanks for that, Eleanor. You touched on some of those things that Mr. Varys was talking about earlier. Zach, do you find that some of the year sevens, eights and nines, as they get older, are much more likely to volunteer their services to help younger children when they get into year 13? Yes, absolutely. We we do an application procedure for becoming a peer supporter. So actually the, the 40 who become peer supporters are the ones who we've gone through that process. And it's, it's a fairly rigorous process. And we get them to write their reasons for wanting to be a peer supporter. And almost all of them at some point in the application reference the fact that when they were supported through years 7, 8 and 9, they looked forward to having this opportunity when they were in year 13. Um, so their memories are clearly very strong even when they get to year 13. And that's, that's what's inspired them to, to kind of pay it forward, I suppose, or, or pay it back um, and, and do and offer the same support that they received from there in year 7 to 9. That's really good to hear that they're actually looking forward to it. Zach, I've got another question for you, actually. If, if I was a slightly old-fashioned sort of a person, then I might say that peer support is too much like, you know, placing cotton wool over our children. And really, it's down to them to find ways of stepping up to the challenge of looking after themselves. What would you say to someone like me if I had that idea of school life here in 2021? Yeah, so I think we throw around those ideas um, like confidence and resilience. And we talk about how they improve through school life without really ever saying quite how they do that. And I don't think confidence and resilience grow from taking more knocks. Actually, I think both those things grow from learning. Uh, And I think the peer support system is a hard and practical example of what we actually do to improve confidence in our pupils. They they do grow in confidence when they're given these chances to to step up. Um, And maybe there's there's a little bit of, you know, the softly, softly and the support that peer support provides. But also, actually, it can be quite intimidating for those boys 
in the first stages of their peer support um, meetings and when they when they first get started and and maybe David and Eleanor would speak to that too in, in the first few meetings that they have they can be quite reserved and quiet so it's it's quite a tough thing to be expected to talk to someone who's much older than them rather than just existing in their cotton wool bubbles of year seven or year eight or year nine. And one of the things you touched on earlier was the concept of mental health. Um, how do you find the approach to mental health has changed in school um, over the years. I mean, in the media, we, we hear that there are big changes in the way that it's viewed in society. But how do you see that translated into everyday school life? Yeah, I think the, the transition maybe not has maybe not been quite so sudden. Because this was established by a school counsellor, I think she was obviously well ahead of the curve in this and, and realised that getting people to talk is, is one of the things we, we see. You know, it's even in, in advertisements all the time, like getting people to talk. Uh, and other people to listen. And this was something which was written into the peer support system you know, long before it became um, on, on trend, part of the zeitgeist as it is now. So, yeah, I think um, because we've had a school counsellor who put this programme in place, it's been there from the beginning. And, and listening and speaking um, to someone who's listening is, is a core part of that. That's good to hear. That really is. For all three of you, I've got a couple of questions now. Actually, nothing at all to do with peer support, but I'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, year 13 and what it's like to be a member of staff at the school as well, Zach. So um, maybe starting with David on this one. David, let's imagine for a second you're, you're stuck on a desert island and you've got the music of any songwriter or any band or any composer. Uh, who would you choose to have with you in terms of their music, not the person? Oh, I feel like I'm on desert island discs. I suppose... Uh... It would depend on my mood, but if the island is warm and sunny and I'm feeling like I've got enough uh, supplies to last me over, I'd probably choose, I really like the killers and their music. I play the violin and the piano, but I also quite like uh, classical music, like, um, for instance, Vivaldi, I suppose I'm playing a lot at the moment. So, yeah, that would probably be my choice. I guess if you play violin, then at some point you're going to be playing Vivaldi for sure. When you're playing piano, which composer's music do you enjoy the most? I play a lot more jazz piano than I used to, and so I suppose uh, from that point of view, I've I've been playing pieces like um, Desafinado and uh, uh, mainly obscure pieces, which uh, I probably think I wouldn't be able to bring onto a desert island. Awesome. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Um, Eleanor, we've had a bit of the Killers there. We've had a bit of uh, Vivaldi, and we've got a bit of jazz going on. Uh, what what would you choose to have with you? I think I'd have to choose Coldplay because um, I think they have so many albums, such a wide range of um, emotion in their song that I think, yeah, that could keep you going on a desert island. Mr. Very, I'd love to know who, who you would have with you. For music? Mm. So the, the question had changed there. For, for who? Again, different set of questions. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm interested in music is, is fairly broad. I was really enjoying, again, Amy Winehouse last night as a one-off performer I don't think she's ever been rivaled um, as a singer someone who transcends her, her genre I think if it's anything classical then Du Bistire sung by Barbara Bonney is, I could listen to that on repeat again and again and again um, but I, I'd, I'd listen to anything yeah, I enjoy any, any broad range of music Maybe the uh, podcast series from the QEH school, maybe something like that. And I wonder if each of you as well, let's imagine you're still stuck on this desert island. Tell me one person you'd like to have with you who'd be quite interesting. It doesn't have to be the most interesting person in the world, so you don't need to give it too much deep thought. But give me the name of somebody who you think would be quite interesting to have with you on that island. 
So I'd probably go with, um, I feel like I'm obliged to say this because I'm, I'm a philosophy and religion studies teacher, but I would probably go with Wittgenstein, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who was a, a philosopher from the 20th century, mostly because he would be, you would never tire of him. He's an impossible character, very, very difficult personality, but, um, but endlessly interesting in terms of what he may be able to um, share, with, share with me and, and, and challenge the way that I was thinking. Um, never really stood still in his thinking as well, so he was always up for changing um, his own his own thinking. I think I, I like that the humility of being able to to change your um, thinking as as you engage with other people. Um, but I feel a bit a bit obliged to say that as a philosophy teacher, that's harder than it sounds, though, isn't it, to change your thinking? Because quite often our thinking is hard to change. You know, we we often don't like to let go of the things we felt or thought or believed for such a long period of time. Absolutely. I, I think um, it's the one thing that I actually don't need people to change their minds, but I always need them to understand the view of the person they disagree with. And that's always the, the thing we drive at is you don't need to change your mind, but you need to understand the views of the people you, you disagree with. And then when it does happen, when people do change their minds, it requires an incredible amount of humility. There's, there's another philosopher called Anthony Flew who spent um, the first 80 years of his life being a, a very famous philosopher, and he changed his mind at 80 in a, in a debate, in his 80s, in a debate, during a debate. Um, and it was it's pretty kind of groundbreaking for, as a philosopher because it, he said, and he said all the way through that um, I'll follow the truth wherever it leads, um, regardless of you know, what, that, what that truth was. And if it turns out that I had that wrong, then I need to continue to follow the truth. And, and I, you know, the humility to spend, to be known as a philosopher, to, to have your work as an academic work and to change your mind is, uh, yeah, it requires extraordinary humility. That's really good to hear. Zach, that, that was a great cultured answer. It's, it's Eleanor's turn now, and she might be feeling a bit of pressure now to give a similar kind of uh, answer of that level of culture. Uh, it, it Maybe it may not be. Eleanor, who, who would you have? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I haven't actually ever thought about that before. Um, the first person that came to my mind was Margaret Thatcher. I'm not really sure why, but I think she would just be a very interesting person. I think you could have a long conversation. I was trying to think of someone that you could talk to for a long time. Um, would have a lot of stories to tell. And I think it's because I recently watched the Iron Lady film, which she's obviously the main star of. So I think that it would just be, yeah, she'd be a really interesting lady to talk to. Yeah, I, I think Margaret Thatcher would definitely be an interesting person to talk to. Mr. Very, just going back to your point, I, th- I think a lot of people may have uh, opinions which would disagree quite uh, radically with Margaret Thatcher's. But again, you know, great example of someone who, you know, whether or not you agreed with her or disagreed with her, and people tend to be quite polarised, didn't they, in in their opinions of her. I, I, th- I think you, you can't deny she would be an interesting person to talk to. To talk to. Yeah, in many ways, the opposite, right? Because if the film is called The Iron Lady, that was exactly her point. She stuck to her. She was not for jumping. Um, she didn't move. I think that's a really, really good contrast. But I think it, you know, it speaks to... Ellen is going to be a very successful young lady, and hearing her talk about another success, I think it's probably partly why it's such an inspiring figure. I agree. I agree. David, your turn. Who would you take? If I was really scared of uh, running out of, uh, of food and supplies, I'd probably bring Boris Johnson along um, as maybe a snack if things got <laughs> uh, went badly. If I was committed to the tragedy of the situation, I'd probably bring Jean-Paul Sartre. And just for a conversation, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to have met um, and have a long conversation with uh, George H.W. Um, Bush, who was famously quite an elusive and quiet figure so I, I think that if you could pin him down on the desert island with no one else you might be able to get quite a lot of information out of him. So just to clarify George H.W. Bush that's George Bush senior is that right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. George W. Bush Jr. was his son, who was the president during 9-11. And why George H. W. Bush instead, or why George Bush Sr. instead of George Bush, George Bush Jr.? I think George Bush Sr. is a very uh, interesting figure because he's quite uh, undervalued in American history. Often, well, it, in the culture that we have today, especially, I think, being lambastuous and loud and and making a, a lot of, of noise just in general, whether it be political or otherwise, uh, is the key to success. But he was a very understated figure. He was very quiet. And from that point of view, I think that uh, American history has been rather unkind to him. He was only a one-term president um, before Bill Clinton beat him out. So he may be perceived to have not had a large impact on American history. But I think that it's often the figures which have been overlooked are the most interesting to study. Yeah, it's quite surprising, actually, given that he came from the same party of uh, the, the, the most recent Republican president and uh, clearly a very different style of presidency. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the Republican Party has, has definitely evolved over time, as all parties do. And yeah, George H.W. Bush, I mean, even within the Republican Party during um, the period, because he was the vice president of Ronald Reagan, who he, who he succeeded. And yeah, he uh, he was a different kind of politician to what many people expected after Ronald Reagan. So even then, I think that he ne wasn't necessarily what the party expected. That's fantastic. Well, all three of you, we, we've had we've had politics, we've had philosophy, we've touched on religion, uh, but most importantly, we've had peer support. So I wanted to thank you for being here and talking to us today and explaining what it's all about. Mr. Very, if anybody's heard anything and wanted to get in touch with the school to find out more about peer support, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, um, I'm afraid social media-wise would be pretty absent, but um, contacting the school directly would be the best way of doing that. My email address is I think, part of the universal handle at, at QEH, so it would be zvery at qehbristol.co.uk. They'd be welcome to email me anytime, particularly around peer support. It's something that I'm obviously very passionate about in the school. Um, and if there were people who wanted to know more about the system or had thoughts about it for themselves, then we're always up for learning and changing as well. Awesome. That's great. Well, look, all three of you, thank you for being here, coming from the headmaster's office. I really appreciate that. We'd better bring this episode to an end before he comes back and realises you've been uh, hijacking his office for today. But thank you for your time, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was David, Eleanor and Mr. Very talking about peer support at QEH. Thank you to all three of you for giving up your time for this episode of the podcast. Don't forget you can contact Zach directly if you have any questions regarding the scheme. His email address is zvery, that's V-E-R-R-Y, zvery at qehbristol.co.uk or just visit the school's website. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you get future notifications, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.